Amen. Thank you, worship team, and welcome, church. My name is Rob Jacobson, if we haven't met, and today we'll be starting in 1 Corinthians 11, so we'll start right in with the message. Uh, I do need some help from some kids a little bit later. We have some invitations, so uh, just stay tuned for that. But before we get too far, 1 Corinthians 11, we'll be starting in verse 17. says this in 1 Corinthians 11, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been, there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead and with your own private suppers, and as a result, One person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink? Or do you despise God's church by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that the Lord will not finally, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when they meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is your word, it's good, and it's very good if we will have eyes to see, ears to hear it, and hearts to obey it. So may you speak to us, God, in and through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to think about, since this this reading is about the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about one of your favorite meals, like the best meals, either because of the food or because of the company or the experience it was. It doesn't have to be a long story, but just think of some of your favorite meal memories. All right, somebody have one that they want to share? Yes, your favorite meal memory. Your birthday party dinner? Okay, why was it your favorite? What? All your fa- perfect, perfect example. All your family was here. That's why it's a favorite. Who else? 
Seriously, no one else has favorite meal? There we go. Yeah, Ron. Wow. And that's a favorite. Well, it's a Christmas miracle, as they say. That's excellent. Excellent example. Anybody else? Either the food or the situation. Yes, Laura. Turkey a la king with caramel sauce instead of gravy? Wow. That is a new kind of favorite. But did he believe you? Oh, I love it. Eat it. I know I'm not your mom. Eat it. Everybody has a special gift. Everyone does. My favorite meal memory, honestly, one of my favorite meal memories is my wedding meal with my wife and about 200 other people. Uh, part of it was because we got to be served first, I'll be honest, and the food was really good. Uh, I'm sure she didn't like it because we were like on display at one of those tables, kind of like this thing. But it was amazing to eat together, to laugh together, and then to walk around and talk to these people who'd all come to support us. And to this day, it remains one of my favorite meal memories. But now I want you to think of one of your least favorite meals, which for Laura might actually be the same story. (laughs) Something either because of the food or because of the situation. And then what made it such a horrible meal? Yeah, Ron. You didn't get any of the food? Yeah, Chateau, same place. Three kids. The two-year-old was just absolutely having, having a fit, and you got to be outside the... You got, yeah, there's something about being excluded in a meal that sears in your mind. I don't think it's just Ron. I, my least favorite meal, some of you have heard the story, and I... oh. You got one there back there, Luke? No, you're just stretching? Okay, see, careful when you stretch. (laughs) Well, I was in fourth grade, and we were sitting at a table much like this where there were 10 of these little orange plastic discs around the table, and I went to sit down. There were two chairs left. Someone was coming around this side, and I was coming to the last spot. My best friend was kitty corner across, and he said to everybody there, but he looked at me, You can't sit here. We're not friends with you anymore. And I was 10, so I didn't know that he couldn't say that about everyone else. I just believed him, and I stood there stunned with my, not chicken a la king, I think it was turkey and gravy or something, you know, the nuggets. And I went, huh. And I walked away, and I sat by myself. Least favorite memory. One of my favorite cafeteria meals, but that act of being excluded. Again, it sears in our minds. What is happening in this story is that people are being excluded from communion. And communion literally means sharing something with others. 
So in communion, we celebrate this moment that actually is a sacred moment. Sometimes in the scriptures, it's called sacred time. It's this moment where we are joined with Jesus, and Jesus is with us. We are with him and with his followers, and it's incredibly easy to miss what I like to just call the union in communion. Because the point of this ordinary bread and this ordinary juice that we need every day is about the union, not as much about the food. And so in the verses that we read, the person who actually helped start the church in Corinth is the one who's writing to them now, and he's giving them advice. In our day and age, he might say it like this. You got people posting hideous pictures on Instagram. It's atrocious, and they all have like the church logo on them. You got people saying nasty things on Snapchat to each other, and you got haters hating all over Facebook, all in the name of God. You're all missing this. What is actually happening is that some of the wealthiest people that were following Jesus were hosting these church dinner parties, not even potlucks, like church dinner parties. They were paying for all the food, and some of them were so wealthy they didn't have to work. Others were wealthy enough that they didn't have to work all day, so they would start these meals and host these meals, which was great, but the people that were ordinary workers would have to work all day. After they'd worked all day, they'd go home, get their families, and they'd come to this dinner, and the food would be almost gone, and the wine would be almost gone, and then there would be people saying how stuffed they were and how drunk they were. The writer's saying, you guys are missing it. It's not the Lord's Supper you're celebrating. It's something so much worse. And so he asked these three questions of them. They're in verse 22. Don't you who eat and drink so much have your own houses to do that in? He's not even saying that it's, I mean, well, we might disagree. I don't even think he's saying it's bad to eat too much or drink too much. He's not making that the issue. He's saying it's where you're doing this. Do you despise God's church? And it's a plural. It's do you all, are you all despising God's church? This church... It's about God. It's about the people that are there. And are you really trying to humiliate those who have so much less than you? These are the three questions. Some of them are rhetorical, but I think the point is they're specific to this time and place, but it's easy to miss that union in communion. And it's as easy today as it was then. We're a lot like Corinth. Meaning, we all get hungry for stuff, not just food. Sometimes we get hungry for accolades. Sometimes we get hungry for affection. Sometimes we get hungry for friends. And when that happens, we easily can slide into seeking to be filled in all of these different areas of our life, whether at home or at work or in our hobbies. Even in church, some of us can come, me included, and we can focus on me instead of we. And when we do that, it leads to these feelings of comparison and insecurity, which then lead to me looking to really prove my worth rather than admit my need. And then we miss the union in communion. So then our rituals that we do become meaningless or just religious instead of being these moments that actually become sacred where something 
really spiritual and mysterious happens. So how can we have our rituals lead to sacred moments rather than just religion? I think it comes from learning to see in 4D. Everybody say 4D, because I know then you're awake. 4D. All right. What I mean by that is four-dimensionally, and it's not just an idea that now I'll help you remember the message here, the teaching, but it's actually an idea that comes from Genesis 13. Maybe you want to turn there. It's Genesis 13, 14, and it's this situation where Abraham has brought his, his uh, nephew Lot, and they are in the land. They're, they're actually having their workers fight with each other because the land isn't, isn't uh, able to produce enough for them. They have too much. And so Abraham trusts, is learning to trust God enough to say, Lot, you choose. Lot looks over the land, compares the land to Egypt and the land to Eden, which you should never do. It's a sermon for another day. But they're both plenty, and he says, ooh, that'll take care of me. I will take that. And Lot leaves. And it's when Lot leaves, because Lot sees a certain way, that Abraham, that God says to Abram, lift up your eyes and see. That's a spiritual moment. Lift up your eyes and look at all that I have laid out for you. This land may not look as good as that land, but look, he says, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. For all the land in which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. In the place he was, he actually couldn't see all the land. So in verse 17, it says, Arise and walk about in the land, walk through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you. This isn't quite like a health and wealth. If you see it and say it, you can claim it, it's yours. But there is this element of, I am teaching you how to see what is around you and see the sacred moment. This is that sacred moment. It's four-dimensional. And that's how we look at communion. And if we look at communion in this way, I don't think we'll miss the union that God wants us to have in it. So the first way that we look is to look behind, to look at where God is and what he's done for us through Christ. You know, Christianity is the only religion in all of the world, I believe still to this day, I've been you know, researching this for 20 years, where the supreme creator of the universe, the one who is called God and Savior, comes to humanity to fix the brokenness that they're in and their world. Everyone else works for it or minimizes and says, no, there's not brokenness, it's fine. But in Christianity, we have Christ coming and doing that for us. And when we look behind, we remind ourselves and tell the world what we believe about God and what we believe about what all Christians have believed throughout history. And so we do that often through creeds. We don't do it a lot here, but we do believe in the creeds. And so at this moment, if you would stand with me, and we're going to actually say the Apostles' Creed as a way of just looking behind and affirming what we believe about God. All right, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he will, shall come to judge 
the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can have a seat. Jesus truly did remove every barrier for us and make a way that we could be restored with God through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. It's not just something we say. It's not a ritual. It is what we believe. And sometimes we have to remind our heads or our hearts where we're at with him by looking behind on where he's worked. We don't just look behind, though. We've also got to look ahead. This is where I sometimes think we miss it, specifically in communion. When we look ahead, what I'm talking about is that Jesus reminds us in the communion meal that he will come again to bring us to a heavenly banquet. He talks Every time he talks about a wedding feast, he is describing what will happen at the end of time when he comes back, returns, and brings us into this new heaven and new earth that Revelation describes. And it's this place that the Messiah, Jesus, will celebrate with every tribe, every tongue, every tradition, every kind of people, and there will be no more death, no more tears, no more suffering, Think about the no mores that you want to see. No more violence. No more discrimination. No more more racism. No more hatred. Revelation 19 says it like this. Let us be glad and rejoice. And let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself She has been given the finest pure white linens to wear, for a fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to them, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. These are the true words from God. See, friends, many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south. If you read about and listen to and study the church even today, It is coming from the east and the west, from the north and the south. It's growing all over the world. We just need to see it. It's the Lord's table that he is the one who invites us. So if you're a child that would be willing to help me hand out invitations, you can come right up here in front of this big table. Anybody who's willing to help hand out invitations, come on up here. I promise you won't have to say anything embarrassing. All right, thanks guys for helping me. First of all, um, Jesus did this special meal that we call communion. It was the Last Supper. It was his Passover dinner. And so we've got some invitations. So I'm going to give, let's see, let's talk about who gets to be invited first. So um, Jesus said in his instructions, please invite all those who trust me and desire to help through my help, lead a holy life. This would be people who trust Jesus. Let's see. I actually think there's some people over here that might trust Jesus. So could you give out some of these invitations to people? Make sure, yep, people who trust Jesus. (laughs) If you don't know, they're siblings. We'll talk about that later. Oh, and just one other thing. The location is wrong. It's not Donkey Dude's house. That was for, the, that was for Palm Sunday. 
But Waterboy's master's house, that's the actual place. You go, Mark 13, you'll see the guy with the water pitcher. Follow him to his master's house. And when you get there, tell him, hey, the teacher needs this. So it's Waterboy's master's house. But what else it says is, please invite those who are sorry for their sins and wish to be forgiven. Which might seem kind of strange, but, you know, Jesus did hang out with the liars, the cheaters, and the sinners. So we should probably invite them too. It looks like back there, there's some, there's some liars and cheaters. And I hope they get along with the disciples because they sometimes, you know, didn't get that right. Let's see. You can come back for more. All right? Make sure that they, those sinners get some. I bet they'll get along. All right. Then it says, please love or invite those who love their neighbors and who love God by keeping his commandments. So, do you see anybody that loves God and loves to keep his commandments out there? Where? Who? You can just point. You don't have to. Back there more? Okay. All right. Can you pass some of those out? Okay. Make sure, make sure they get some, especially the people who love God by loving their neighbor. Logan, do you want to pass some of those out to people who love God and love their neighbor? All right. Let's see. Man, it kind of feels like we should invite everyone because Jesus seemed to do that too, right? We better invite everybody else too. So anyone who doesn't have an invitation, make sure that they get invited to the party, okay? And, and this is the important part. I mean, he said this was going to be like his last one. No. Tough crowd. Get it? His last supper. Galatians 3 says that we are all one in Christ. There's no slave nor free, nor Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male or female, that our socioeconomic differences, our gender differences, our ethnic and racial differences, none of that will keep us divided in Christ. So everyone is invited to the communion table. Jesus invited everyone. Thanks, guys, for your help with that. So we look behind, we look ahead, but then we look around. If we want to see four-dimensionally, we've got to look around because we're more than separate individuals that are being invited to communion. We're the body of Christ being invited to the table to commune with Christ. And eating together can generate a true fellowship in ways that no other thing can. All throughout time, and I still think it's true today. Uh, last week, or a week and a half ago, I got to be uh, at a church planters training intensive that we had in the region. And uh, we have some new material. Our church planting director said that he wanted me to go through it so that I could coach some people, which I'm really honored by. And we had at least 75 people in this training. Now, it's hard to see them. Uh, let's see. I think I'm right there, if you want to know. But when we started the meal, we started on Wednesday, and Wednesday night we broke up by region and ate together. And as we're eating together, somebody comes from L.A. Uh, area, and she had amazing tattoos and body piercings that like, she could just pull off. 
And, uh, but I probably wouldn't have approached her on a rainy day. And she's like, oh, are we all eating by race here? And I looked out, and by and large, while we were eating by conference, we were also eating by color or language. It just broke my heart. The next morning, I went and sat um, at a different table with some people from New York, all different colors, but definitely a different language in New York. Mikey was hilarious. I enjoyed him. By Thursday lunch, I sat with Gary and Julie. Now, Gary and Julie are right... Oh, almost took out your guitar, Matthew. Right there. Yes. I had to practice that. And I was talking to Gary and Julie. They are planting a church in Kentucky. And I had very little in common with Gary and Julie when I sat down. Gary played, like left tackle, and is about 6'4", 250 or more, but just had a sweet spirit. As we're eating together, he tells me about the church that he's starting and how he wants to bring restoration to his city. I'm like, really? He said, yeah, we're going to call it Hope City, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and, and you know, we just want to see the shalom of God work in people's lives. And I'm like, you're like my brother from another mother, but the same father, Gary. I just love that. As we continue to talk, he tells me about how reluctant he is to be a pastor, and we have this sacred, holy moment that his wife, Julie, admitted like something happened in that moment. I will forever be connected to Gary because we ate together. Who do you need to invite to your table? Doesn't, I'm not saying it's going to be this holy moment, but there is something about inviting someone to a table. I mean, technically, it doesn't even have to be your table. There have been holy moments at Culver's for me, and I know for you, <laughs> for a lot of us, where when we eat together and we hear each other's story, we hear how God is working or how he's not, where we are united in true fellowship. Um, we also have Jeff and Darlene Anderson, and Jeff and Darlene started coming last fall. I think we have a picture of them, uh, and oh, that's uh, a couple of us getting to pray actually with Gary. Really cool moment, but we can go to the next one. Jeff and Darlene here, they've been coming since the fall. They, they said, Laura, we know Laura, she invited us, and we just love it. We love meeting new people. We love hearing the old people. Like, everybody's just seems to not only like each other, but like us. So, um, so Jeff and Darlene are doing this mission work that is just starting in the Middle East and North Africa. And they uh, were here last week, and they, just sent me, they both sent me a note that said, um, hey, we're continuing to ponder what we talked about in church last week of how Saul was coming down the road to Damascus. And like, it was an ordinary trip for him, but then God did something extraordinary in that moment. And it's both just been hitting us so, so much, a little bit differently that we just had to tell you. Jeff said, I never really thought about the fact that, that on the road to Damascus, it was like going to Syria. And how the Palestinians and the Jewish Christians or the Messianic Jews how there's so much animosity towards each other in these two different places, Palestine and Jerusalem, and how it is an abomination to Christ because they are one. And I am going into this mission trip with a whole new fervor, Jeff says. So pray for Jeff in that. 
Darlene said that it hit her in this way that this ordinary thing could be this extraordinary moment. And so they are praying that the 16 people who are with them on this vision trip for what God could do in the Middle East and in North Africa, that God would do something extraordinary in that moment, that there would be eyes opening in that moment. And so I just invite you, because they're part of who we are, to pray for that unexpected work in the Middle East and North Africa with Jeff, Darlene, and the 16 people that are with them. And when we look around, we see those kind of things happening. You don't have to go to the Middle East and North Africa to see those kind of moments. You just have to look around at the people that are actually in this room with you and hear how God is working and what you can pray for and how you could join them. So I just pray that we see more of that. And finally, communion is this ritual that can lead to these sacred moments, not only when we look back and look ahead and look around, but when we look within. I I do want you to be challenged by the word, just inviting someone over, but I also don't want to miss that God's word says to look within. When Jesus delivers these words that Chris is going to share in communion in a minute, that he's talking about this He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28 through 32, he said, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat this bread and drink this cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. But if we were more discerning to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged this way, we are being disciplined. It Four different times in in these verses, it's talking about being disciplined, it's talking about being discerning, it's talking about bringing a judgment or receiving a judgment. I think it's this call to say, look within. Jesus just doesn't want us to wash our hands when we come to dinner. Maybe your parents say that. Maybe your spouse says that. (laughs) Did you wash your hands? But he wants us to wash our hearts. He wants us to confess where we need him. Confess that we need him. If you're trying to do life on your own, Jesus says, I am the Savior. I'm the only one who will bring you and make you right with God. And when we confess that, when we trust him, we are unified in communion. And we don't have to do it on our own. When Jesus talks about this covenant New covenant in the blood. He is talking about something that the prophet said long ago in Jeremiah. That one day, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with my people of Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the one of old, but it will be like the one, not like the one their ancestors had with them when I took them out of Egypt. When I gave them this law and they couldn't, they couldn't do it. It will be a new covenant where I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. God does this through Christ for us. As you come to the table, know that God is doing the work in you, that you don't have to strive on your own, that I don't have to strive on my own, but I do need to willingly receive. And when we look within, we can see that happen. So we're just going to take a moment and look within. Confess to God anything that we have that makes our heart dirty, but then receive his forgiveness and receive him as Lord and Savior if you've never received him before. And then you come up, you gather around the table, 
and we'll receive communion. So God, as we enter this moment of silence, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that this communion would be a union. It would be a sacred moment. Help us to look at it in 40 and know that you're in it with us. Amen.